Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I'm here with my co-host, Karen Henson. Hi, so excited to be here today. Mm, I love the enthusiasm. I am pumped. Pumped. Why, why are you pumped? Because we're talking about the women in the Bible. Mm, nice. Well, you guys enjoy this episode. We are back this week with Dr. Sandra Glan, who is a professor of pastoral ministries at Dallas Theological Seminary. She's an author, wife, mother, and we are so glad that you are back with us. Thank Thanks you. for joining Thanks us. So, Dr. Glan, last week we talked quite a bit about gender in the ancient world and what that looks like, how it affects us today. But this week, I'd love to start off by just asking you, in the ancient world, when we see especially some of these women who we, like I said last week, overlay our assumptions over the text, and then we read some of these passages and assume things about women that we really should not assume. And so, your book, Vindicating the Vixens, uh, that you edited, what did you find as you guys worked through this issue about how we assume things about women and really a lot of what your title even says is hey a lot of times our assumption about women like the woman at the well or like Bathsheba or like Rahab or like Tamar we assume really horrible things about them and when really when you understand them in context you get a much fuller picture of what's going on so talk to us a little bit about that so the Reformation was mostly good for Protestants but but there were some excesses And up to this point, picture women in monasteries who are transcribing the Bible, right? You didn't have a printing press yet. And so they're literate, they're educated, and the Reformation comes along and says, priesthood of all believers, no such thing as like a priestly class, which is biblical, but so we're going to empty the nunneries, empty the monasteries, marry all the nuns and priests to each other. And so in the next generation, you have no women who are really educated like the nuns had been. And we see sort of a shift in how we've translated some of the scriptures since then with sort of a lower view of women. And here's an example. So in John chapter 4, we read a story of Jesus having an encounter with the woman at the well. They have this conversation. Prior to the Reformation, and even like in the Orthodox Church, her name is Fotina. She's married with children. She's like one of the first martyrs. She has this whole backstory that most Protestants don't even know about. Post-Reformation, we tend to think that Jesus is not revealing himself to her, like the church used to think. Jesus is revealing herself to herself. In other words, she's a sinner and Jesus is helping her see it, is how we've read that story. But let's take some social history background that we talked about last week and apply it here. So what do you hear every every Easter sermon about the testimony of women? Yeah, it's not trustworthy. It's not a thing, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. trustworthy. It's not acceptable in court. Exactly. Yeah, Women yeah, cannot yeah. just march into a court of law and dump a husband, Yep. okay? But we come to John 4 and assume that's what this woman has done five times, and now she's just shacking up with some guy. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Okay, so- She's sexually loose. Exactly. That's the assumption. Exactly. So if you have a world where the number one cause of death for men is war, and this woman has been married five times and now isn't even married and is with someone, picture not a young 23-year-old serial monogamist, picture a 50-year-old missing some teeth, who's lost a lot. So if that's the case, and Jesus comes and talks to her, instead of Jesus beginning with her sin and her deflecting and changing the subject, Jesus is entering that conversation at her greatest point of pain. And 
when she says, but when Messiah comes, he's going to tell us everything. She's not changing the subject. She's hoping for the Messiah and Jesus, who with everybody else, when they say, are you the one? And he's like, I don't know. What, is, what does Isaiah say? Like He keeps throwing it back to them. With this woman, he comes right out with the name of God, I am. And he never does get a drink. <laughs> like yeah. she leaves and tells the village. Mm. That is a very different story yeah. from and you know, so what do you do with the one you have now is not your own? Well, what does a woman do if she seems to be cursed, if you can't be safely married to her, or if she's older and missing teeth? And mm. do you have a polygamous relationship, right? Mm. Which means she would be the one sent to fetch water. She'd be the one to build the fire. She'd be the one doing all the work so she could eat. Because yeah, right. unlike in 21st century America, when you're widowed, you can't put on your high heels and go get a job. You go find a man that can feed you. Mm. So again, that changes even our evangelism. Mm. It changes our view of a woman talking to Jesus, right? And the disciples like, why is he even talking to a woman? Yeah. So they got some misogyny going on, even a few years into their mm. time with Jesus. And he's just shamelessly talking to this woman. Mm. Don't you love him? Like, well, he's awesome. yeah, it doesn't just shift our view of who this woman was, but it, Nathan yeah. and I were actually talking about John 4 a, a little bit ago, and I was like, Jesus feels so sharp. And it's probably a lot of that assumption of who this woman was and right. and what she was doing there. But to understand, like, no, she could have lost all of her husbands and he's meeting her at a point of need yeah. that he enters into her pain with her. Like yeah, exactly. that just that changes my view of Jesus, not even the woman. What if his tone is, go call your husband. Oh, I have no husband. You're right. You've had five. And the one you have now is not even your own. It's it's a I'm so You're a prophet. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. oh right? Yeah, yeah. Like that is very different. So different. From, Go call your husband. Yeah, knew you didn't. Yeah. yeah. Like that, that. So that's that story. Okay, think about how we look at the story of Bathsheba. So we have tended to look at the genealogy of Jesus as Protestants and say, those women are there because they're all sexually immoral or perceived to be in the case of the Virgin Mary. Mm-hmm. And they're there to show God's great grace, which absolutely God's grace is is incredible. Yep. But you could make the same argument for mm, Solomon or Yeah, Judah it's not or, like it's not like the list right? of dudes are yeah, are, like uh, are real yeah, yeah, characters. Yeah. 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 So much more <laughs> likely if you think about Matthew's argument, Matthew who's writing this genealogy, his whole argument is about the kingship of Jesus. So, if you have an all-male pedigree that's Jewish, that definitely establishes you as king of the Jews. Mm -hmm. But how in the world are you going to be king of the Gentiles if you're only descended from Jews? Mm. Enter five Gentile women Mm -hmm. who show faith. Bathsheba is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Hittite, exactly. Sometimes she's even called the wife of the Hittite Mm -hmm. instead of just Bathsheba, right? To emphasize Hittite, outsider, Mm Tamar, you know, he, Judah had gone down to Canaanite country, which a good Jew is never supposed to do, yep. and got wives for his sons. Yeah, Judah is not a good Jew. He is not a good dude <laughs> until this counter with Tamar. He, you know, he sold Joseph into slavery. He's a mess, and he is hiring a prostitute and then wants an honor killing. How's that for hypocrisy? Yeah. Mm. But he says to her, think about this. What would a family do around the campfire for generations if they had the promise that they're carrying the Messiah? Mm. Tamar totally would have known this is the family of promise. So Tamar is wanting in on the genealogy. So she is valuing something Judah does not give a rip about. 
And, and he even he, tells her that. He does. Yeah. You're more righteous than yeah, I am. But here's the good news. And here's where we get to vindicate Judah in the process. After his encounter with Tamar, which we often don't even preach going through Genesis because we think it's a bunny trail. Yeah. It's actually essential to his uh, character yeah, arc. Yeah. The very next time we see him, he's ex- offering his life in exchange for Benjamin. Something has happened to him in the course of that encounter. He's encountered somebody who gave a rip about what God cared about, and now he's willing to actually sacrifice mm, himself. Yeah. That is a that's the Genesis story, right? Yeah, that's good. So so not only is Tamar vindicated, but Judah, you know, is is shown to have a change of character. Mm. So these women in the genealogy of Jesus are showing the emphasis is on their faith, not on their immorality. Yeah. So Bathsheba, if you look at this story, it's the ultimate Me Too story. It's heartbreaking. And the argument of, of the author of the historical book that where this story is appearing, we're supposed to be, in David's point of view, we're not supposed to be blaming anybody else for anything that happened. We have come along with David. He's a shepherd. God is calling him out. He's like a young son nobody was looking at. God keeps raising him up and raising him up. If anybody ought to be righteous, it's David. Mm -hmm. And if anybody should scare the snot out of us in terms of the abuse of power, it should be if David can do it, I can do it. Yeah, right. So we're in David's point of view. The, The text begins within the spring when the kings go out basically with their troops David's hanging out at the palace and he's looking, you know, palace is on a hill. So I've been in a situation in a developing country where I came upon a man who was bathing in a barrel and I didn't stare. Like you look the other way and pretend you don't see it when that happens, right? <laughs> That's just what you do. Mm. But David sees her and then he said, finds out who is she? And the answer is kind of like, oh, don't mess with her. Like, one of your mighty yeah, men yeah. of Beller. Isn't Beller? that Uriah's yeah, wife? Like, Uriah is like totally <laughs> loyal to you. And her yeah. dad's like one of your advisors. Like, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. And David sends plural men for her. My military friends uh, say, you know, if the commander in chief sends some guys to my door, I don't say I'm not coming. I think my husband's dead. Mm. My husband's off at war and the king sends people. I'm going to go. So we should not be faulting her for going Mm. to the palace. He is sent for, plural, more than one man to take her. When David finds out later that he's impregnated her, he has her husband killed, and the text says Bathsheba grieved. Mm. When Nathan goes to him, he doesn't say the thing you all did, which is kind of what we see in Acts when a husband and wife conspire. Like They both bear the consequences. Nathan is like, you're the man. He had all this power. Bathsheba had no power. Mm -hmm. So we know a lot more now about power differentials too than we used to, right? To factor in, she doesn't have the power to do anything against the soldiers here. David misused his power. Let Mm -hmm. that be a warning to us. So again, seeing Bathsheba in this way keeps us from, from having some heroes in the faith. Because what would that have been like for Bathsheba? She's not only lost her husband now, she's been raped by the king, she's lost her husband now, her child is dying as a discipline for the king. But then the big story is, but David doesn't actually bring his firstborn to the throne. Mm. David names Solomon, and Solomon is in the lineage of Christ. And Bathsheba doesn't see in her own life how God made that right, far beyond her expectation. So... Some of these things that we miss in these stories because we're coming to them with the eye of women are vixens, women are temptresses. Now, there are plenty of those too, the woman caught in adultery. I mean, 
yeah, the woman caught in the door, you know, where's the guy? But, yeah. and, and it even seems like Jesus is like, yeah, where's the guy? <laughs> we yeah, don't know yeah, what he yeah. wrote, but something unjust is happening there. But there's Potiphar's wife. Like women mm-hmm. are not innocent. They're sinners, just like men are. It's just, let's be faithful with the text. So when they're really sinners, let's show them to be. But when they aren't, let's not vilify them. Because in the process, we lose some heroes. Mm. This woman, think of the ministry to widows. If you think Jesus sees this woman who's had her heart broken over and over and over at the well, and she's hoping in Messiah, and nobody sees her, and he himself shows up, and she's the only one to whom he reveals himself, or the woman with the issue of blood, where he calls her daughter. It's the only time Jesus ever calls anybody daughter. Mm. She's been an outcast for 12 years, you know, completely lost all the money she has on doctors. God sees these kinds of people. Then you go to the story of Deborah, which is super interesting, because Deborah, it says she's the wife of Lipidoth, or she's the woman of Lipidoth. We don't know if that means she's, because the word in Hebrew for woman and wife is the same word. Yep. So we don't know if it's a place or if she's married. But if she's married, that's super interesting that you know, she's not only a judge, she's a prophet judge. And the only other prophet judge we get is Samuel. So if she's plan B, why is God elevating her above all the other judges, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have Barak who's saying, okay, I'll, I'll do what God called me to do, but I'm not going without you. Mm-hmm. We read that, he's, you know, he's such a wuss. It's like, well, Maybe not. (laughs) Like maybe he's like, you're the prophet of God. I respect the voice of God. It'll give us courage if you go with us. We don't necessarily have to rag on him. Yeah, Yeah, no, he's recognizing that, hey, the hand of the Lord is clearly on you. I'm interested in that. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) let's bring that with us. Exactly. So sometimes our biblical manhood, our so-called biblical manhood and womanhood, it's not just that it's bad for women. It's bad for women and men. It's Mm -hmm. bad for the church in that we fail to value partnering and we can get so focused on what do I act like as a faithful man instead of as a faithful person, Christian, spirit-filled person in this situation. So I was, uh, for listeners who maybe don't know much of my story, for uh, five years I was on uh, active duty in the in the military. I deployed twice to Afghanistan. I was an infantry officer and uh, have been in crazy situations. Which, I mean, you want to talk about gender stereotypes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Pity the, the guy who's 5'2". Yeah, two, yeah the infantry <laughs> is the most like overly machismo fraternity that I've yeah. ever heard of. Yeah. But I told a guy one time, because they were asking like, hey, what was that like? And I just said, uh, what I saw was a lot of insecurities on display. Wow. Because you have all of these guys that are everybody's trying to for the most part i'm speaking very general terms i mean there's they're awesome dudes but everybody's trying to one up each other which that's rooted in insecurity i have to be yeah. the top dog or be the most respected one or do the craziest things or you know and it's like that's not admirable that's insecure and i think what we what we see a lot of times in our churches today are Male leaders who, for whatever reason, whether it's the cultural appropriation or whether it's their own upbringing or where the type of ideal that they have in their minds about, hey, this is what I'm supposed to be and I'm not secure enough in my own maleness, in my own manhood to be able to lead this body while recognizing that I need 
I don't just put up with or push women off to the side and be like, hey, y'all do your little ministry over here. All right. See you later. You know, and I'm like, hey, is that not rooted in some way in your own insecurity? If guys recognize the biblical view of what imaging God is, it's not just like, hey, I'm going to push you over there. It's no, no, it's I need you. You're the other part of the equation that helps me image God to the world. But see, women do the same thing. They do. Like, absolutely. Like, if, oh, I'm supposed to be quiet, that's what the text says, to learn in quietness. Therefore, even though I want to be bold and I want to speak up, like, I'm going to revert back to this insecurity of Mm. what I should be. Not who Christ has called me to be, but what I think, quote unquote, I should be. Totally. The women do the same thing, which creates this chaos in the church. It's not helpful. The Edridges wrote a book called uh, Love and Respect, and they call it the crazy cycle. Yeah, you, know? that like you get on this crazy cycle of, I'm insecure. I don't know what to do with you, but I know that any gift that you might express in the body is a potential threat to me because I'm insecure. Instead right? of saying, how can I help you? Instead flourish? of, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. And then the woman is hearing the man, e- even through subliminal messages, going, hey, stay down there. And the woman's going, I can't speak up. I can't. I'm supposed to do this. So... The insecurities are feeding one another. And so that happens all the time. But sometimes it's the the obedience is misguided. So let me give you an example. Um, so think about spiritual gifts. If I have some semblance of the gift of teaching, that means I'm typically going to be in front of people. Mm-hmm. My husband has the gift of helps and administration, which means he is drained when he's in front of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? But in the typical church culture, early in our marriage especially. It's reversed. It, yeah. People thought I was wearing the pants and that he wasn't manning up. And he's since he's the most secure man I've ever met, instead of buying into that, he's like, how can I help you flourish? Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that means I'm not going to feel in any way, I'm going to be proud of you. <laughs> if I'm going to support you going to seminary, I'm going to do whatever can happen for your gifts to thrive. And if the subculture doesn't get it, they don't get it. Yeah. But yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Like, so there were times in my marriage early on that I thought my husband was not manning up because I had this narrow view of what initiative was supposed to look like mm-hmm. and alpha male Christianity was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. So I was not appreciating that much when he like is making the bed and making sure, you know, bringing me dinner when I'm studying or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was a moment in our marriage when I realized, thank God he's done a work in us. It was a uh, New Year's Eve party we had had. We had the church friends in. Midnight had come and gone. Everybody's leaving, and it's super foggy. And I'm at the door saying, we need to pray for our friends that God will keep them safe. And my husband is in trying to make sure everybody got their hats and gloves because mm-hmm. he has the gift of details yeah, and yeah. service, right? And he's like, yeah, pray. Like, it wasn't, I'm going to pray because I'm the man. Yeah. It's, it was your idea, and I want you to always initiate spiritual things if you feel. And so instead of him feeling like he always has to be the one initiating or being in charge or, yeah. quote, showing leadership, it's like, I'm going to serve through my spiritual gift, which is making sure everybody's warm enough and got all their stuff. And just thinking, thank God, now that I love and appreciate him, instead of thinking that's a weakness in him, right, mm-hmm. is right. saying, no, that's a strength in him. That's a beautiful thing. I think our audience probably, at least some of them, are potentially thinking, let's not swing the pendulum so far the other way and correcting. And so what I would say to that is, I'm an alpha male. I don't mind being upfront. What? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> And praise God, he <laughs> yeah. makes those. Yeah. And and I'm like, hey, I, there is something 
about that that's good and right and you know when it's under the control of the holy spirit which my wife will tell you sometimes it's not um but when it's under the control of the holy spirit that's a really good thing and so what i'm not saying is come on women step up and take that mantle what i am saying is we can both do this together and i think that that's the way that it's supposed to be and also when you see typical uh, women roles like we're serving the meal or we're that like dudes can do that too you know and so hear me loud and clear like men need to lead but leading doesn't always look like a out front loud follow me we're going to take this hill kind of thing sometimes it does but sometimes it looks like hey i'm going to get everybody's coat for them Mm -hmm. and so i just want to be clear about that because like we talked about last week a lot a lot of times there are knee-jerk reactions when people hear this conversation and assumptions are made but sandra i want to ask what do you see in the next maybe i don't know decade of pushing forward where you're like the church needs to go this way over the next 10 years what is a positive vision for a biblical view of gender in the church what's a positive view of us coming together as male and female and imaging God as the family of God? Yeah, great question. Certainly, it begins with God made us male and female. That's different. We don't have to sit around trying to figure out how that's different because it's a mystery. We need to embrace it. And so what that means is instead of focusing the question about women in the church on the pulpit, which is a teeny, teeny, tiny bit of women, (laughs) focus it on, okay, let's look at our missions committee. Is it full of men and women? And does it have people of color on it? And does it have people who are working gardeners and CEOs? Like race, class, and gender, bringing everybody to the table. So looking at our greeters, do we have men and women greeters? And are they of different ethnicities? And are we giving away power? So if we have power, we're giving it away. We're raising up the next generation. We're also recognizing that we need to teach manhood and womanhood in such a way that if you're 90 years old and disabled, you're still every bit of the man or woman that you've always been. Mm. So that has to be very much rooted in who you are in Christ and not in anything you can do or really be other than obedient Mm. because godliness isn't having a certain kind of body, right? Even Paul, if you think about it, like whatever his thorn in the flesh was, he had to have his body less perfect, Mm. so that Christ would be magnified. I think what Watermark is doing in terms of their ministry to those whose bodies are not made with the ideal Mm. uh, is is great, because serving everybody, service, and and often, if we can replace the word lead with serve, (laughs) how can I serve you? And so, sometimes, you're right, sometimes that means getting your coats, and sometimes it means praying, and sometimes it's the same person. You know, doing that in different contexts. I think we'll pay more attention to spiritual gifts. We'll pay more attention to not having a certain body type for men or women held up as the the ideal and Mm. not shaming people for having certain body types. I think it it means that we look seriously at Church to Me Too and we look at how we are dealing with the sexual abuse crisis in the church and outside of the church. Mm. I think we'll do some teaching on what it looks like to forgive that takes away messages like boys will be boys and girls will be girls. It also means that we will stop sending the message to our women that learning theology is for God. Mm. Amen. Right? Preach. So, yeah. And here, there are two places I think that comes from. 
One is a misreading of 1 Corinthians 14, which talks about letting the women be silent in the church and Mm. letting them ask questions at home. We assume that that means family devotions, Mm. and so men only need to look for a woman who's behind him spiritually. Mm -hmm. He's always got to be ahead of her. Mm. That is just so wrong. If you're you're not looking to gauge like where you are a nine out of 10, you're looking, is she growing? Is he growing? Mm -hmm. We can grow together. Yep. And that is not talking about family devotions at all. The Mm -hmm. word for ask means to vet. It probably has to do with don't vet your husband's prophecies in public. That's awkward for everybody. But we've taken that to mean somehow that a man has to be more, whatever it means for him to be more knowledgeable. So don't learn as much knowledge about scripture. In what yeah, universe? Yeah, and, clear, back, right? and, and clearly knowledge is like the highest mark right? of spirituality. Right. <laughs> <laughs> See, the Pharisees. Or that a man learning something spiritual from a woman is somehow wrong. Like if only Pilate would have listened to his wife, mm, right? Mm. Um, we learn from each other. We're brother and sister yeah, all the right, way. Right, right, We're right. sharing our Lord together. And so my husband's contributing to my spiritual thriving, which means I know more about Ephesus than him, mm. but who cares? Yeah. Like he does a better job of saying I'm sorry than I do, right? Yeah. I mean, um, so that's part of it. Looking at spiritual gifts, looking at theology is for women and the passages about put on the armor of God are not just for men. Mm. We are in a massive battle yep. and we cannot afford to not have all hands on deck yeah, yeah. with as absolutely as much training. Yeah, half our people don't have their armor right. on. Like, what the heck? Like you would never go to the gym <laughs> yeah, and only yeah. work out one half of your body. Yeah, you want right. the whole body healthy and whole, not so that you can take power, but so you can, if you have to live in obscurity mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the angels see it, you know, think about the early church and how they're rescuing babies. That is not raising all these foundlings is not glamorous work. It's mm. not standing up in front of a crowd. Yep. It's changing diapers. Yep. It's the day in, it's day the out. Day in Just and day out. Go. I think aspire to the quiet life yeah. is the most underrated scripture. <laughs> like we aspire to the public life, the famous life, the accomplished life. And as as I hear you talk about what the future of the church could look like, I just realized so much of what's keeping us where we are today is fear. Like we are so afraid. We're so afraid of disobeying God. We're so afraid of taking the wrong step. We're so afraid of giving leadership and power away. Yeah, Yeah. it's paralyzing. And to think about what could change if we focused on just God's love, like what would change? I think so much of what you're saying could really just happen if we stop letting ourselves be crippled by fear. Well, and I think too, there's a, Anytime that you recognize that you are being crippled or restrained or held down by fear, that should cause someone to look inside Mm -hmm. because 1 John says there is no fear in love. love And so it's like, hey, are you operating in the love of God or are you operating out of something else, an insecurity, a a fear, a, a control of I was interacting with somebody just yesterday who was coming to realize how much they don't trust God. And I was like, hey, I think those are the right questions to ask. Like, why is that? And so many of us are doing things for God and are leaving God out of it. And and I think that that's a real problem. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So busyness is the one socially acceptable addiction. Uh, Yeah. Right. Like we can't cover our pain with drugs, you know, illicit sex 
alcohol, but oh my goodness, if you work a 20-hour day, you rock, you're awesome. I wish yes. I was like you. It's a badge of honor. It is. I heard a guy say one time, I've used it quite a bit, where he just said, busyness is a deficiency of the soul. Ooh. And it was like, yeah, there's yeah. like a, yeah. there's a steadiness about Jesus. You don't ever yeah. see Jesus like in a hurry, oh, yeah. you know? Beautiful. Yeah. Lord, why weren't you here two days ago? Yeah, yeah. 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 He's like, hey, hang on. I, I got it. Don't freak out. <laughs> Don't freak out. <laughs> well, Sandra, thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking to you over these last two weeks. And and I would just close us by saying, far from trying to elevate this domineering, out front, overly machismo masculinity and suppressing this, oh, the it's just the liberal agenda. The women are trying to rise up and take power. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, both of those sides, like chill out and let's look at a biblically faithful picture of gender and how men and women were created in the natural order to complement one another. We need each other. I mean, I, I can just see the church over the next decade. I don't know why 10 years is in my mind, but whatever. Over the next forever, <laughs> I can see the church in my mind imaging God in a way where uh, men and women very naturally and freely and with joy complement one another as we both are embodying and are projecting the presence of the Holy Spirit and the world who's so far from that looking at us and going, man, what is that? Brothers and sisters who love each other from the heart and there's nothing weird going on. They're not scared wow. of each other. Yeah. And it's not, and, and, and the world is going, what, what is that? that? How yeah. that is waking something up in me that I never knew was there. And, and I'm like, man, that's, I think that's what it looks like to be a city on a hill. Yeah. So Amen. anyway, Sandra, thanks for your time. Pleasure. We really appreciate your ministry and what you're doing here in the DFW area. And uh, we'll continue to pray blessings on how the Lord's using you. Thank you. Women go to seminary. Thanks for listening to the Equipping Podcast. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends, subscribe, rate us on iTunes. And as always, if you have questions, please, please email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org. Thanks. Bye. Peace.